failed to mention, I did visit with Connie this week, and she's doing well, and uh, would appreciate your visits. If you haven't visited her, you know, even a phone call, uh, just have a good conversation with her. She is uh, at home, and uh, we'll be there until they kind of figure out the next steps. And then um, just, you may want to put our missionaries in the Oscar box. They're looking to go back on the field here soon, but they got to get their visas and passports taken out, taken care of. So Anastasia, the second oldest, had to have hers renewed, but it was the newborn Josiah. And, you know, it just takes a little while to get a newborn passport out here. So we want, but they're looking to be uh, back on the field within a couple months with that. So uh, just continue uh, to pray for all of them there. As we come to our time, uh, of worship through uh, scripture. I hope you open your Bibles to Luke chapter 14 if you'd like, or on your phone, or tablet, or however you take a look at these. As we kind of take take some time to, you know, realize what God is doing, and I just want to start the conversation with this. What is discussed around your table? You know, maybe breakfast, or lunch, or dinner, or just general, or some of you are going out to nothing because we don't have a table we eat at. Well, uh, if you had it that had others at your table, what would you talk about? You know, uh, what maybe it's a cup of coffee, you know, or tea, if you like tea. You know, uh, what would you discuss when you sit down? Now, I realize as our family is in a stage where uh, Sitting down doesn't happen often. We tend to have full calendars, you know, especially as kids. It's a little less than summer when we had three kids and three, um, you know, in sports. And fortunately, Josiah and Daniel were on the same team uh, because uh, if they would have been on three separate teams, can you imagine trying to be in three places at once? Uh, with that, but you know, you're always kind of moving. And so if that's your life, I want to encourage you to find some time to slow down enough to sit down at a table. See, because when we read, and we read it here in, in Luke chapter 14, we read it here that Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee. We read that uh, Jesus sat down a lot to eat with people. Now, in Jesus' time, meals were important social events. It wasn't just as we have got to, let me just eat something to exist. This was almost a community affair. You know, and, and we need to, I think, maybe regain some of this importance. One of the things I, I love to about our Wednesday night is every so often when Larry allows me, I go into the, uh, the you know, the dining room, per se. He got it, you know. Uh, the rest of it, just, you know, Larry goes there, too. But I love just hearing conversations. Now, I'm not eavesdropping. I'm not going, but, but there's something that naturally happens when you sit down and everybody has food in front. They start talking, you know. And, and it happens that way at our uh, house. And then they start talking over top of each other, you know, and, and stories come up. And sometimes, you know, uh, you know, this is one of the things I love about Josiah. 
uh, and if you experience what I've experienced, you know, Josiah has a laugh that is just contagious. When that kid starts laughing, you start laughing at his laughter. You know, and, and then if you watch it, you can't help, because it's a full body experience for him. You know, and last night, I don't know what we were talking around on the table, but Sis said something, and Josiah said something else, and he started laughing at his own joke. And it was just contagious. And that happens when you sit around a table sooner or later. So I, I invite, whether you're online or those of you here, if, don't ever eat Wednesday night alone. You know, the body's laughing. Because she knows this to be true, don't you, Bonnie? No. You know, you know they, they, there's so much fun and joy when you just get around other people, and you laugh. And Wednesday night, I don't care how old you are or not, you come sit at our table. You know, you will laugh. You will enjoy. You will hear something you may not have wanted to hear. I don't know. But there's something natural when you sit around a table. And I wonder what we need to do in our homes, but as well as in our churches, is to regain the sense of importance of our meals. One of the reasons for the food, I mean, partially because I'm in charge of it and I love food, okay? Um, I do. I love making food. Uh, but that's one of the reasons our clergy gathering involves food. Why? Because there's something relaxing when you get around and you have food with it. The only other example is a campfire, which, by the way, in October, we're going to have a gathering at the Newman's where we'll have a campfire, right? Right? You know, I, we had talked about this before. So, you know, why? Just to gather around uh, a time where you can naturally just enjoy company. And you don't have to put on this air of who you are. And Jesus, Jesus was routinely caught at the table. And here, in this case, he was, he was at the table of a prominent Pharisee. But that wasn't always the case. In fact, one of the accusations lobbied against Jesus is he sits at table not with Pharisees, but with outcasts, with the Lovites, with, in that day, tax collectors. I mean, that's like the worst of the worst of the worst of the Jews. You know, you were traitors. You know, and we could think of ways. But here, Jesus, even in, in his life, as we will see today, but uh, and not just in this passage, but others, we see that Jesus was willing to sit around the table with someone. Anyone. Around the table. You know, that's one of the things the ministry that Joyce and her team and we as a church have with the funeral is so very important. Because you sit around the table with people that maybe wouldn't normally sit around the table. You know, where people don't look like us, they don't talk like us, they, they, they may not know our ways, but we sit at the table and we learn. And we realize that we all meet in very similar ways. Not, not, not many people don't like chicken and noodles or meatball and mashed potatoes. Not many don't like the desserts, you know? Uh, you know, and I always try to give my helpful advice for those who get in the line last. You're always by the uh, dessert table first. Go ahead and sample. 
By the time you get back around, you can just read it on the same plate. And no one will know the difference. You know, but, but we see this. And Jesus is there, and I think the question that we need to ask today, the question that when we come to our mealtimes together, the question Jesus is forcing us to come into grips with here is, how do we stop grace and compassion from flowing? How do we provide a block to grace and compassion? As he sits at this table, this Pharisee that invited him there would say, I don't stop grace from coming. I don't stop compassion from coming. And I would be the same way. I mean, they knew it. But yet, as we get further and further in this story and in the life of Jesus, we realize that sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally, we block it. I know I've been convicted without this week. Where I have blocked grace and compassion from coming in. Where I have stopped it. Or tried to hold on to it and realize that, that with grace and compassion, the tighter I try to hold on to it, the more it shriveled up and dies. And so we read here that it's on a Sabbath. Jesus was to eat at the house with a prominent Pharisee. This wasn't, let's just be honest, as, as Luke tells us here, he was being watched carefully. This wasn't just an innocent meal. This was going to be a meal where Jesus is kind of under house arrest a little bit. I want to know what you're going to do. This isn't the first time the Pharisees were kind of out to get him. But again, the Gospel of Luke, this will be one of the last times they sit down with him at a meal. And Jesus, I believe, knowing all things, he knew what was going to happen. In fact, uh, we see that he, he goes in to this house going for well. And there was in front of him a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. But just maybe fluid buildup. Now, it's interesting as I read this week, there is debate whether this guy was planted as a test. Or because in those days, unlike today, in those days, the homes and the, the mealtimes, those were social affairs. It'd be like eating down at our local cafe on the streets, you know, where, where anybody could kind of come up and have a conversation. Anybody could come up and go. It was a normal. There wasn't this, you know, they weren't tucked behind a dining room door or in a house where you couldn't see or they even eating, you know. They, they, they were being able to tell. So people would kind of come in and out. But the question is, is, was this man planted there? Or did he happen to come in? It doesn't matter for Jesus. Okay? But what we can see of Jesus here is he's the master of tension. He's the master of tension. I have up here, you know, I just raided the, the junk drawer downstairs, uh, two different kinds of uh, rubber bands. You may not be able to see them very well. You know, one green, one red. Uh, what good is this rubber band that is holding thin air right now? Anything? No. Okay, so I have pins right here. You know, I always have pins here. I'm going to put this rubber band on those pins. Is it going to hold it? No, why not? There's no tension. The rubber band cannot do its job if, if there is no tension. The reality is, is our culture, 
Our own natural tendency is to stay away from tension. Because we don't like to be stretched. We don't like to be folded. You know, but if I fold this, I'll spread it with a pen, you know, but if I fold it, look, it's, it's holding. Now, really what I need to do is create more tension, and now they're secure. But what we do is we go along life and we live in our own little comfort zone. We don't like tension. We go around like a limp rubber band. What good is that? It's not. Jesus is the master of tension. And if you want to live a comfortable life, if you want to live a life of, of freedom, basically, in the idea of never to be challenged, don't come to know Jesus, because what he's going to do is start to stretch you, put you into tension, he's going to fold you over. All right? Ain't nobody likes that. But that's what he's going to do. And if you know Jesus, and you're able to be a limp rubber band, guess what? You ain't following Jesus. If there's no tension within your life, if there's no tension within our churches, guess what? We are as useful as this rubber band. We aren't. And Jesus, in this setting, is a master of tension. He sees this man, whether he was there because he was planted, or this man walks up, it's like Jesus going, ooh, I can't wait to see what happens here. He's going, well, I'm going to stress. We're going to put some tension here. And he says to the Pharisees, because he knows they're watching. He's already had run-ins with him. This isn't his first Sabbath meal with them. And he asks them the question, just flat out. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And what happens? Nothing. Because as the master of tension... The way he asked that question, they have no good answer. They want to keep their pride, their sense of who they are. If they say, no, it's not lawful to, to heal on the Sabbath, then they have to back that up. They say, yeah, you can heal on the Sabbath. Now, why they why Jesus is even sitting at their house is a moot point. And so he does it. They don't. They, there's silence. It remains silence. So, you know, here's Jesus, the master of tension. By the way, uh, I think let's everybody go home and get a rubber band or go in the junk drawer, which is the very first drawer as you enter the kitchen. You go in the door on the right. There's plenty of rubber bands there. Okay? Everybody get one this week as a reminder. Those of you online, go in your own junk drawer, or I can ship you one, or if you're out of state, or uh, I got it in my junk drawer. All right? With that. And, and so Jesus doesn't let this just go, okay, we'll just go back. I've done enough. All right? I'm, that's probably what I would have done. I've made my point. He made his point. He says, no, let's go a little bit further. And so what does he do? He heals the man. He heals the man. There was this idea of this man probably had sinned, according to the Jewish leaders. So he was suffering because of his own sin. Notice Jesus doesn't even handle that portion of things. He's less concerned about that. He heals the man right in front of them. 
heals him right then and there and sends him on the way. Then he asks a follow-up question. If any of you has a child or an ox that falls into the well on a Sabbath, will you not immediately pull it out? Or would you sit there and go, tell you what, it would be like me saying, hey, Eliana, I know you fell in a hole. Just wait until it is Monday, and then I'll come down and get you. I know that sounds drastic, but that's what Jesus is asking of them. Now, he also knows well enough that these good Pharisees and chief leaders, they would not go, just wait until Monday. Actually, it would have been Sunday. Saturday's their Sabbath. It would have been, you know, Sunday. We see Sabbath as Sunday. I get it. I've caused a lot of issues over my lifetime because I've broken the Sabbath. You know, I mowed my grass on Sunday. And I was letting know that I should not mow my grass on Sunday. You know, um, I, I wasn't the master of tension because I said, well, Sunday's a work day for me anyways. <laughs> you know. <laughs> You know, I don't know. I wasn't going there because it doesn't matter. You know, I'm not Jesus. Thank the Lord, I'm not Jesus. You know, the master teaches. He said, "Look, we all know you would do that." Hence their silence. Again, see what Jesus is pointing out is that that sometimes what gets in the way of grace and compassion is tradition. It can. I'm a fan of tradition. I mean, that's why I serve in churches like this. In fact, this may be the youngest church I've ever served in for any length of time. All the others may be even older than this one. And this is 1874. You know, we have a 150 coming up here, you know, that we need to start reminding ourselves of. You know, all the other churches were older than 150 years. But I love tradition. There's something to be said about tradition. But tradition sometimes blocks grace and compassion from getting in. When it becomes the only way instead of a way. And that can be hard. Because see, tradition means I know what to do. And we have traditions here in more ways than one. I mean, the fact that we had promotion Sunday after the songs. You know what everyone's thought was? Kids, go ahead and go downstairs. That's our tradition. Is that wrong? No. Could that get in the way of grace and compassion? Maybe. Maybe not. You know, but what happens here is Jesus is saying, you Pharisees, you've gotten your tradition in the way of what, what God was always asking of you to do, which was to show grace and compassion to those in need. And he's, he's going to tense that. He's going to pull the tension. To go, okay, what's more important? Your interpretation of things or God's grace and compassion on things? Which one will get there? The traditions that go in. Of course, they had nothing to say. There's no answer better as they think than others. But then Jesus starts to look around. And he tells a story. Jesus is not only the master of attention, he's the master storyteller. And he tells them 
uh, this parable. But first he goes and he's just watching. Uh, one of the things I love to do is people watch. It's great. You know, one of the things I'm aware of, people watch me all the time. You know, I remember when I first got here and I told this story, I was reminded of it this week or last, that I was walking down the, the street, which I do often, you know, you'll find me walking up the streets of St. Mary's, or finding me on the corners of St. Mary's, talking to people, think nothing other than that's what I do. You know, and someone who was young pastor, pastor. Well, I mean, I was new enough that I knew most of you all, but didn't all, and I looked behind them, I'm like, I don't recognize that person. So I just kind of kept going. I didn't realize they were talking to me. I didn't realize Lutherans talked to Baptists, and Baptists talked to Lutherans, and Baptists talked to each other. Go figure, right? It's a joke, okay? Some of you are like, what? You know, it's a joke. Uh, you know, and, and here it was with someone from the Lutheran church in town. And, and what was even more funny is I walked away going, look, wow, they already knew whatever happened yesterday at church. It had already got crowned. So I made a promise to myself, and maybe to the Lord, I won't tell you which one was first, but I was at least on Sundays going to give you enough stuff that when I heard about it on Monday or Tuesday, I at least got to smile. I want the story to be good enough because we're at Travis Baptist around here. Whether we like it or not, we're Travis Baptist around here. And here's the beauty as I've walked our streets in the past couple of years. We're Travis Baptist about a group of people around Because of the generosity of this church, people know that this church is a loving church, willing to do things that doesn't make sense at times. Some of you are here because of the generosity been shown in the past couple of years. Because you sat in our tables. I wish I could say it was brilliant. I stumbled across many. All my good ideas are from somewhere else, just so you know. But Jesus notices. He's watching what people are doing, and there's a jockeying going on in this table. Because, you know, the tables at that time were U-shaped, you know? And, and whoever was this Pharisee, he probably, the, the most honored guest, would have been right in the middle. And then you had this jockeying of, okay, we're, who's to the right? Who's to the left? Who gets to sit nearby? How close can I get to the honored guest? And, and, and so Jesus is noticing this, and in those days and age, if you were the honored guest, you were able to show up late. Hence why we probably have this kind of idea of fashionably late. I mean, because when you're late, late, everyone knows you have arrived. Right? You know. Everyone knows you have arrived if you're late. If you're early, I mean, half of you didn't even know Jack Burroughs was sitting in the corner over there, you know? The few that were here before you saw him come in, they're, you know, the rest of you, you noticed, but maybe you didn't notice. Probably intentional on his part, you know? Um, but when you were late, everyone knows. And in those day and age, when you were the last one there, it was assumed you were the most important one there. 
And so whoever that was to serve the standard, you have this jockeying of position. And Jesus says, I tell you what, when someone invites you to a feast, do not take the place of honor. For someone more important than you may show up. And the guest is going to have to say, uh, you're in the wrong seat, my friends. You need to go wherever you can go. In a culture where shame, very much like our Far East, uh, you know, uh, individuals of our world, where shame is so big, that you, you, you don't want that walk of shame to some other seats. And Jesus said, so don't sit yourself there because someone more important may come and show up and you may have to go back to the back end of things. Instead, sit somewhere else and, and, and you may find the host says, hey, John, why are you sitting back there? You sit right here. You are our honored guest. And as much as John may go, oh, no, 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 not me. When the, when the host of the meal says, you are my honored guest, you get up and everyone knows that you are the honored guest. And they think, ah, it's him. And also, whoa, he didn't know it. He just thought he was here for somebody else. He says, so it is with you. When you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus also said to his soul, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, he continues his story. Do not invite your friends, your brothers, your sisters, your relatives, your rich neighbors. If you do, they probably will invite you back. And you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And he's starting to say this, saying this can sometimes get in the way of Christ. Now, he's not saying don't eat with your friends. I don't think that's even remotely close to what he's saying. He's saying if, if you are inviting people that you know will invite you back, it's not really hospitality. It's not really grace. It's not really compassion because I just expect you're going to do it back. And we kind of have this idea at times, don't we? We invite somebody to our table because we really hope they'll invite us back. We live in a world where we are, we're stuck on transaction and costs. In fact, sometimes we will say to ourselves, well, please, I, I hope they don't do this for me because I can't repay them. And Jesus is saying it's not about payment or non-payment in the kingdom of God. He's saying, look, if you really want to be hospitable, if you really want to show praise, if you want to have compassion, then find the ones that are not like you. And we agree. You, you, this sounds great. Right? Go, yeah, we like that. Guess what? The early church missed this a whole lot, and we still miss it today. In many of the letters of the New Testament beyond uh, the book of Acts, 
We read where the church had different tables. The good ones sit here, the others sit there. We have in one instance of one of the churches where those who were well off, they had their meal first, and then as those who couldn't repay brought something, they already had eaten. We read in another church where they had ushers of the day. And the usher would go, oh, let me see. Oh, you look pretty. Mr. George, you look pretty nice today. Why don't we have you sit up front? Because that up front in those days were the seats of honor, okay? You know, so Bonnie, you can come sit up front with me next time. She's like, I don't need to be honored. I'll sit back there. Oh, you used to have those. Ooh. You know, uh, ooh, Colby. Mm, you look a little rough. What's that on your arm? Oh, oh, you're one of those guys. Well, we're going to sit over there. Here, let me show you your seat. <laughs> no, it happened. It still happens to some extent. In fact, the reason there were pews at one time. And in some churches in the Middle Ages, you, you had families that had deeds not to a house but to a pew in a church. Because they bought this pew. It gives a meaning to, that's my seat. A little bit different, doesn't it? I mean, Jenny, you have your seat. You have your imprint in that seat, I know. You know? I don't sit there because it doesn't fit me. You know? Uh, he has, but, but it was at one time in God's kingdom, in God's place. In the place where everyone would come to the table of, you can't sit there, that's my pew. And if you didn't own a pew, you know where you sat? Right on the floor. As a reminder, your place would be lower. And when we are all the same, we forget we need grace and compassion. The kingdom of God, heaven, is not all the same. It's unified under who Christ is, but it is a whole lot of difference. We will hear people speak in languages that we've never spoke before, but we will know that we're saying the same thing when we say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. When we all bow down again, sameness gets in the way of Christ. So we must guard against the insider's mentality. Of we are on the inside, you're on the outside. And that is a very hard thing. Just because we know Jesus and have the quote-unquote truth in us, we cannot think we've obtained it. And we deserve it. That's why it's grace. That's why it's compassion. I don't deserve any of this. I don't deserve to be a pastor. I don't deserve to minister in this community. But by the grace of God, He's called me to do just this. When I think I deserve it, I become. <coughs> Like this rubber band. Useless. Oh, I might still do things. I might still look pretty. 
I might still proclaim the, the gospel, but I'm not doing what I was created to do because I'm coming from it as an idea of I've obtained it. That's why the tension in every church ought to be how do we disciple people, but also how do we go find people? How do we have fellowship, but at the same time, how can we guard that our fellowship doesn't become just an excuse to exclude from others? Because people will be different. Let me move on before I get stuck. Lastly, we see the whole one of the whole points is that pride will get in the way. Jesus talks about humility, about how how we can continue on, what it looks like in the kingdom, and the pride will get in the way of compassion and grace. Because if you don't think you need it, you will not take it. Bible talks over and over about a hard heart, about hardening our hearts. What is that? It's a sense of pride. What does it look like? That it looked like for those of you who are younger, I'll have time one day to get there. I don't need Jesus right now because one day I'll be old enough and I, and I can have Jesus then. Scripture, time and time again, says you're not guaranteed tomorrow. We may come back today or I may go home today. I'm not going to go play traffic, but I know I frustrate Shannon George every week when she's like, I'm going to get you downstairs. She says it lovingly. It's not a sign of abuse, parents, you know. And I'm like, just do it well. She's like, I, I take the fun out of it. Do it well. Send me to Jesus. Do I really want to go to Jesus tomorrow? Yes or no? Okay? Well, I... Do I want to enjoy every moment with my kids and my wife and family? Absolutely. But you know, at least do it good. So when the story gets around, people are like, wow, that was a good way to go. That was good. All right? But, but we're not guaranteed. Or later on in life, you're like, well, I don't want to use Jesus as a crush. You don't use the creator of the universe as a crush. But we use it as excuses. I'll get around to it. Your pride is getting in the way. Your pride of, and I've heard this, and I try to lovingly uh, share it. I don't want to let Jesus down. When was the last time you held him up? I'm sorry. I mean, it would be like Eliana coming to me, Dad, I, I don't want to talk to you today because I'm, I'm afraid you're gonna, I'm going to drop it. I'd be like, Sis? When's the last time you got more than my one leg up? You ain't holding me up, girl. You can't let Jesus down because you aren't holding him up. That's grace. That's compassion. That's what we don't deserve. Uh, oh, I don't know if I can come to Jesus. I'm too messed up. Join the folks. We're all messed up. It's not a competition to see who's worse. Jesus said, I died so that your messed upness may bring you to me so I can take your messed upness and transform it in me. Don't let your pride get in the way. He tells another story of a banquet where people said, I'll go, and then, and then their pride of, hey, i gotta, I got to check on what I just purchased. Get in the way of a feast. 
that. You know, I know I've lost weight, but I'm still kind of a chubby kid in a skinnier body nowadays. If someone's inviting me to dinner and they say there's a banquet and it's all you can eat, I'm fighting Jevin for, to get there. All right? We're, we're going to see who's faster. But some people would be, I mean, that'd be like Jevin going, well, you know what? My wife just bought something new. I better go check to see how much she spent. That would never happen in your house, would it? You know, you'd be like, dude, what is wrong with you? Check on that later. You know, where the next person, oh, I just got married. I'll tell you what happened after Alicia and I got married. Colby, stuff this in your back pocket. If anybody invites you to house for dinner, you'd be like, absolutely, my wife's coming. You'd be safe and private. Because you ain't going to get that at home, baby. You can go down. Sure, you can celebrate me. I'm just married. Right? But we see in the story that people let their pride and their circumstances get in the way of the good things. Listen, my anniversary can happen, you know, we can celebrate my anniversary 12 times a year, 12 months out of the year if you want. You know, you can have Alicia and I over for anniversary dinner in December. We got married in June, that's close enough. Not why. Because what Jesus is saying is, he, as the host of the banquets, they're going to invite. If you let your pride get in the way, guess what? You're not letting Jesus down. He's going to find somebody else to take a seat. Listen, I don't want anybody else to take my seat at the kingdom's table. I, I want to sit down with somebody else and say, hey, how can you get in? Well, some guy invited me. He said it was going to be good. I'm like, yeah, cool. What do you like? Let's have some, let's eat. And that's the point. Sometimes we allow the grace of Jesus to get blocked by many different things. And what Jesus is saying is, no. Anything that gets in the way of my grace, as good as it may be, you miss out. So, we must remind ourselves that Jesus is inviting us to the table. Not because of our status. We got some well-educated people here. I know some people that if you knew they had double master's degree, and you looked at them, you go, no way. Yes, way. It doesn't matter. And our job as the people of God today is to say, hey, Jesus is inviting you to the table. I don't care if you smell or don't smell. I don't care if you can put anything in a place or give online or provide anything for a funeral meal, you show up. I'll find something. I don't care if you have hair on your head or not. I prefer people who are pretty good towards perfection myself. And if you don't show up, guess what I'm going to try to do? I'm going to find somebody to take the seat. And you say, well, what happens if all the seats get filled? I grab another chair. I lengthen the table. I'll make some more mashed potatoes. I can whip something up pretty good. And that's what Jesus is saying here. So, I want to encourage you to think this week as you run into every single rubber band. You're going to know the rubber band in weird places in this room. What is the tension that Jesus is trying to invite you to? Have you been unintentionally blocking 
the grace and compassion of Jesus because Jesus shows us that compassion and grace trump everything else. I believe it's in one of your uh, devotions this week if you would like to do it. If not, I read it preparing somewhere. Uh, there's a verse that talks about mercy conquering judgment. We want judgment and mercy to win. Not because judgment is not important, but because mercy is powerful. Who will you invite to your table? What conversations will you have around your tables this week? And will you live in the tension of Christ each and every day? Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for this time. Lord, that, that this long moment of sharing and worship through your word would not have kind of walled us to sleep in any way, but would challenge us, would convict us, but also encourage us that your table is long enough for all. And so, Lord, the invitation's there. So, Lord, help me not to miss your grace and compassion this day. Help us to not miss that. To help, you know, maybe someone needs to admit for the first time, I'm coming and I'm sitting at this table with Jesus for the very first time. They are now a child of yours. They will confess that you are Lord. That they are messed up, but you have saved them regardless. And that you're going to live as, as you are the king and ruler and leader of their life. Knowing that you will guide them in all ways. Lord, for others of us, Lord, maybe we walk and we open it up. May we humble ourselves again and again and again to who you are and our need for you. May we not grow old in hearing the story, as old as it may be, but shown in a new way as we seek to find you every single day in this world that you have created. Lord, we just thank you. We thank you for this. We thank you that you're at it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us continue to worship.